0: So, Amen. people of God, <laughs> good evening, good evening. Good to see everyone here today. Um, yeah, today, I mean, isn't it interesting how this topic, the Holy Spirit, brought it on Good Friday? <laughs> you know, like last week I was wondering, oh, what are we going to talk about this Friday? I was thinking that we were going to continue our discussion on the Garden of Eden, but since last weekend he was telling me about the baptism, the baptism, the baptism. And I'm saying, I was just thinking, why? You know, I I mean, someone asked some questions about the baptism in the group chat, you know. But I, he just kept on putting it into my heart, and I just said, okay, you know what? Let us, um, let us see what he has for us, you know. So yeah, you know, baptism is something that every single one of us is familiar with. You know, we all growing up in church and a lot of us here i'm sure have been baptized or know someone that's been baptized and there's so many doctrines around it so many teachings so many things that have been built that's you know people have built houses on and you know there's you know people talk about how oh if you haven't been um, Taking down into the water, you're not a Christian, you're not saved, you know, so many things. So people say, oh, it doesn't matter if you've never been into water, it's Holy Spirit, you know, so many different, um, so many different um, perspectives, so to speak, you know. So I think now is the time for us to press deep into the subject and let us search together, I would say. <laughs> So, I mean, first of all, for those of us who are here for the first time, this is a conversation. So, as I'll start and uh, begin to bring out what the Holy Spirit has for us, we I expect us to have our questions, our thoughts, and comments, and we will actually build this conversation together. Are we ready? Yes. Yes. Uh huh. (laughs) Yep. Let's go. All right. All right. Amazing. Amazing. So like Eleonai rightfully said in the beginning of the call, that the English word baptism is of Greek origin, the Greek word baptizo. And the word baptizo means to immerse oneself. Now, you know, it's, it's very, and we always say it so much, that it's so important for anyone who is moving in the faith to baptize themselves in the study of the word to become very conversant with this doctrine that we hold so dear, so that we have not only an experiential understanding of the things of God, but a theoretical understanding as well. Both of them counterbalance one another. We need strong theoretical foundation, and we also need strong practical and experiential foundation of God of the knowledge of god you know and so for that reason it is so indispensable for us to develop the culture of studying and studying deep to have a robust understanding of things and without a doubt we've said so many times that every culture has their own psychological type and their way of doing things they have the their their hand gestures are different their body language is different their idiomatic expressions are different so if one approaches culture a with the mindset of culture b there is most likely going to be a misunderstanding so when we talk about the need to go back to the original greek context hebrew context of things It's to also help us really understand where the scripture is coming from. And beyond that, on a very personal and individual level, it teaches us how when we approach a person or a thing, before we start to project our own opinions on that thing, we have to, first of all, observe it, get to know it for what it is from its own standpoint before drawing our conclusions. Does that make sense? Yes, uh-huh. yes. Uh-huh. Yes, it awesome. does. It makes sense. Awesome. Awesome. So our in our going back to understand the original context in which the Bible was written doesn't just teach us how to read the Bible, but it also teaches us how to read people and how to interact with people, you know, actually taking time to want to know where a person is coming from. You meet a person, you know, I mean, culturally speaking, I don't know if some of us uh, we still have it in our homes, but Traditionally, if you bring a person to your house for the first time, the parents you say, Where did this boy come from? Who is his father? Who is his mother? I mean, do we have parents that still do that in this time? <laughs> oh, the line broke. Okay, can you hear me now? Aha, fantastic. Okay, fantastic. What, what was the last thing you heard? Does anyone have, uh, does anyone's parents feel. Aha, so. Uh So I'm talking about how, when we approach the Bible or people, how it's so good to try and get a background of what they are, of where they're coming from to have a very strong understanding of who they are. So I now said, does any one of us have parents who, you know, like in Africa traditionally, if you bring someone to the house, they'll say, ah, who is this? Who is his father? Who is his mother? Where is he coming from? Do we have parents that do that? (laughs) Uh, does anyone of us have, have parents that do that? Interview <laughs> interview. And uh, yes, I mean, Sheila said, our parents to do that. Yeah. I mean in this time you might say, "Oh this is unnecessary, Mommy, why are you doing this? Daddy, why are you doing that?" I mean, sometimes it might be excessive, but the idea behind it is very important, because it's, it's, it is not possible to know a person if you don't know all the people and things associated with that person because every single person is a product of the environment that they've been in. And some way, somehow, your environment can give some insight into who you are, whether negative or positive. You know? Someone can come from, from a very tough background, difficult background, and that difficulty can manifest as them being non in life. You know, they don't have any motive to go forward because no one in their family went, you know, did anything significant. Or it can manifest as them having a very powerful drive because men, they don't want to end up like, you know, everyone in their, in their community. They want to do better for themselves. So somewhere, somehow, the place that you come from gives deeper insight into who you are right now. Does that make sense? You understand that? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So, the Bible is exactly like this, you know. And it's a habit that we need to develop, not only restoring the Bible, but restoring everything around us and also studying ourselves, too. You know, we need to cultivate that habit of actually, because our parents are just there in the house, you know, we don't engage them, we don't ask them where they've come from, how life was in them. You know, we don't ask any questions. Uh, well, I know some of us do, but some of us don't, you know, for those of us that don't, we need to start to ask questions to have a picture of where we've come from how their lives were when they were growing up, what they did when they were ages, how it was in their village. You know, it it really gives one, it creates a very important narrative and understanding of this present time when we start to understand where we are coming from. You know, and that's one thing that in this generation is not very prominent. And we need to start to do it, digging deep in everything. So this right here is not just about digging deep into the Bible. It's just about digging deep in general, digging deep into ourselves, starting to understand the causes of certain things, the roots of certain things, and where it comes from, and etc. and etc. Cetera, etc. <laughs> so, the Bible, as we know, was written in two different languages or three. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. It had Hebrew and Aramaic because there was, a, in the time when the Israelites got captured by the Babylonians, that's when their language changed, you know, just like broken English, like pidgin. That's how Aramaic came to be when they were in a different, um, in a different um, um, country, when they were no longer, you know, were, just like now. How many of us here grew up in Nigeria and we cannot speak our mother tongue? How many of us? Who, can, who, is, who is here that you can't speak the language of your people? Mio. Are you sure? You're kidding. So you can't speak Hausa. I'm surprised. Hausa is not my mother tongue. Oh, oh! what is your mother tongue? Please correct me. I can speak Hausa fluently, but Hausa is not my mother tongue. Ah, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So yeah, the same way the same way the, the same way the Israelites, when they got into captivity in Babylon and the times they were in Assyria and they were just displaced, you know, displaced from their land, displaced from their heritage, it made them lose their language, it made them lose their culture, it made them lose their religion and things like that. Because when one moves away from home, from from the hometown, when they're separated from their people, mixtures start to come in. So the Aramaic language is a language that came as a result of that from mixtures. Um, Confidence, well, hmm, my mother language, which one? My physical mother language or the, you know, the, the, the heavenly one, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> my mother language is uh, Urubo, <laughs> but I can't speak a word of it. Well, I know Migwo, I know in Urubo they say Migwo to greet an elderly person and the elderly person will respond saying Brendo or something like that, you know, but aside from that, man, God help me. <laughs> I actually speak more Yoruba than I actually do my, my uh, mother tongue, you know. But yeah, just like that, because obviously, like, realistically speaking, I am a Delta person living in diaspora, you know? My father is from Delta State, I am living in diaspora, and Bukumi, you're a hater, you understand, but let's not go into that today. (laughs) So, literally, I here, I'm like a Delta Urubu man. Living in diaspora, you know, I'm in a foreign land. And because I'm in a foreign land, I'm cut off from my people. I know nothing about the tradition. I don't know about the chiefs there. I don't know who the king is. I, I, I don't know anything, you know. And the same thing happened with the Israelites, you know, when they got into Babylon, displaced from their land, they forgot the knowledge of their fathers and things like that. So that's why we have Hebrew and Aramaic, you know. And, um, please, bye. <laughs> So the Old Testament was written in two languages. It was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And the New Testament was written in Greek for the exact same reason. Because in the time of the New Testament, that's after the time of Alexander the Great, when he conquered most parts of the world, you know, he, 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 he dominated the world. You know, he, he, he dominated the world. And after the Alexander the Great came the Roman Empire. But Alexander the Great's empire was so great that Greek became such a prominent language that it was cut across everywhere. So just like today, English. You need to speak English if you want to cut across the masses of people. In the time of Jesus Christ and Paul, Greek was the language that you needed to cut across the masses of people. Do we understand this picture and painting? Are we getting the historical context? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. So in the time of Paul, just like we have the English Bible in that time, if you want to cut across many people, Greek is better. In fact, in, in fact, there were, there were even many Jews who as a result of growing up in Rome, didn't know how to speak their language. They could only speak Greek. So it, it made more sense at that time to write a lot of things in the Greek language if really and truly they were going to get this message out to the rest of the world. But notwithstanding, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even though they were inscribed, even though they were inscribed in the Greek language, everything that was spoken about there was actually spoken of in Hebrew. Jesus Christ, sorry, Jesus Christ was not a Greek speaking person, Jesus Christ was, he spoke Hebrew, he spoke Aramaic. Spicy, the Romans spoke Latin, right? They spoke Latin, but because the Greek language was very mainstream, most people from Rome could speak both Latin and Greek, but Greek was much more popular because Alexander the Great conquered many countries and taught them the Greek language, you understand? Okay, awesome. So, so, um, Jesus Christ didn't speak Greek. He spoke Hebrew, right? Although Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote those gospels in the Greek language because they were trying to communicate to an audience that was beyond the um, Jewish people. So every single word that was written in the New Testament has its origin in the old testament there is nothing in the new testament that was said for the first time and that's something that needs to be emphasized regarding everything because there's this idea that you know the new testament everything they paul said things for the first time you know they came up to say there is nothing in the new testament that does not have its roots in the old testament And for us to begin to understand things written in the New Testament, it is very necessary to begin to go back to the old, to start to have a kind of picture of what is being spoken about. So we have the Greek word baptizo, the Greek word baptizo, which literally means to immerse. Now, the Greek word baptizo is not a word that is associated with water. It literally means, it just simply means to immerse. Whether I immerse you into a pot of soup, or I immerse you into the wall, or I immerse you into fire. Do you understand what I'm saying? The word simply means to immerse. It doesn't have anything to do with water, first and foremost. Do we understand that? Awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh So the word baptizo simply means to immerse, you know. And that's why in the, in the New Testament we see all kinds of immersions: immersion into the water, immersion into the Holy Spirit, immersion into the fire, immersion into the Father. So, so, you see that it's not a word that is, um, that is um, exclusively associated with water. It can be used with anything, you know. Now, this word "baptizo" is not a word that. Jesus Christ just coined from nowhere. It's not a word that Paul coined or Peter coined. It's something that was deeply embedded in the Jewish tradition, you know. The Greek word baptizo is a Greek rendition of the Hebrew word tevila. And I'll write it down here for us, tevila. And it means the same thing, tevila means to immerse. But it doesn't just mean to immerse, it means to immerse oneself completely into something. Traditionally speaking, in, the ancient, in ancient Israel, even till now, but it was much more prominent then, they have something that they call a mikvah. I'll write it here: a mikvah, M-I-K-V-A-H, a mikvah. And the word mikvah literally means a gathering of waters, right? And in those days, a mikvah looked like a pool. Well, when we say pool, it's not an artificial pool. It's a natural pool. You know, like when a body of water um, spills over to a small place, where well, we call it a lake or a, or a um, what are the words they call all these small bodies of water? Lake, pond, stuff like that. Like the natural ones, not artificial or man-made ones, you know so that mikvah whenever a person because we look at the old testament right exactly in streams yeah has streams you can call it stream pond lake stuff like that so the word mikvah literally means body of water and that is where they immerse people into you know and in those days when a person is immersed into a mikvah, into a body of water, every single part of their body must enter into that water. If not, that um, ritual washing is not complete. So much so that even if a little fingertip of that person's body doesn't enter into the water, then that person cannot yet be called clean. I don't know if anyone of us are able to understand that the symbol that that paints, do we understand the symbol that paints? You can tell me what that is saying if we start from there. Okay. Purification, exactly. A complete, a complete purification. A complete sanctification. And the Bible, the Bible, literally begins, literally. If you actually study with an open eye, because like I said, we look at. Baptism as a New Testamental theme, whereas the Bible literally opens up with a baptism. And the Spirit was hovering upon the waters, and darkness, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit was hovering upon the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And it's from that place that creation came into existence. Or we can say that was a place where light was born. Because the mikvah is not just looked at, traditionally speaking, it's not just looked at as a body of water that one takes a bath in. It's also called the mother's womb. The mikvah is also called the mother's womb and anyone who is submerged into the mikveh and comes out is as though they've been reborn. Do you understand? That's the mystery of what was going on in discussion between Jesus Christ and Nicodemus, when he said, how can a man who is old enter into the mother's womb a second time? One might read that, and one might think that. Um, Nicodemus did not understand what Jesus Christ was saying But spiritually speaking, in in Judaism, quote-unquote, for one to enter into the kingdom of God, for one to enter into the awareness of God, there has to be that crossing from the place of darkness into the place of light. And it's symbolized by that body of water, which is not just a womb of a person, but is also a tomb. So the mikvah, the waters, the body of water, is not just a place where a person is born. It's also a place where a person dies. So the mikvah, the waters, is a duality in itself. You know, it's a duality. It has two faces. It's something that kills, and it's something that resurrects. That's why Paul talked about how do you not know that you who have been immersed in Christ have been immersed in His death, burial, and resurrection? Do you understand? If the waters were not associated with death and birth, Paul will not use that symbology to explain what was going on. You know. And the very first, of course, spicy. In our story is very much involved. The very opening chapter of the Bible talks about creation, talks about the birthing of something, and it was associated with the waters. And that's why when a person enters into the water and comes out, they say a person has been born again. You know? So at this point in time, it's important to talk about quote unquote, ceremonies and rituals. When I say ritual, you know, when we hear the word ritual, most of us automatically think of, uh, we automatically think of, um, you know, when they cut someone's head or they kill chicken and blah, 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 you know, and all that. Like, what uh, Babalao thinks? <laughs> Spicy said canayo. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> canayo was a serious, uh, you know. <laughs> so when we hear the word ritual, you know, we, we automatically think of, you know, something diabolical and everything, but it applies to things diabolical. It also applies to things that are holy. A ritual talks about things that a person does over and over again. That's why we can, we can say, oh, I have a sleeping ritual. I must take my shower first, you know, spray my perfume, put my puff on my head, you know, say a little prayer, then sleep. For those of us who like to sleep like that, more grease to your elbow, <laughs> you know. A ritual is something that one does repetitively for a particular purpose. You know, and every culture in the world has some kind of ritual. In life, you can't live life without some kind of ritual. Everyone has a ritual that they do, you know. The same applies physically. The same applies spiritually. So spiritually speaking, when we're talking about rituals, ceremonies, you know, especially ceremonies that are physical, it is something that a people come together to do in order to allow themselves and what they are doing physically to become a portal, a bridge by which the divine manifests itself. For example, you know, have you heard of the pool of Siloam in the Bible that at a certain point in time, when it gets stirred up, if someone enters into that water that is sick and they come out, they come out whole. Have you heard that story in the Bible before? The pool of Siloam? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh Aha. That right there is is a very powerful symbol of baptism, right? (laughs) That's baptism, right? They've been explained. One enters it very dirty, filthy, ill, and one comes out whole, you know. But physically speaking, there is a kind of representation You know, because like, I, for those of us who remember that old video I sent about something like water, scientifically speaking is something that is evidence that water is a living thing. It is a living entity that has life. It can fall sick, it can die. This is something that has been scientifically proven right now. And how one treats water affects how that water will react, in that environment it's in, and how it will react inside of you. And there were experiments carried out when they put three glasses of water. This is science now. This is what has been scientifically proven, you know. One glass of water was, all the three glasses of water were filled with rice, right? One of those glasses, the person was cursing it every day for a month, cursing it, saying curse words. The second one, he was saying blessed words, you know, saying blessed words to it. And the third one, he didn't touch it at all. The one that he was using curse words against, in the month when they came, the rice, everything was rotting and dead. The one that he was saying blessed words to, it looked as if that nothing happened because everything was vital, there was life. And the one that nothing was said to at all, it started to decay, but it didn't decay as much as the one that they were cursing every blessed day, you know. And even, they even did all kinds of experiments, you know, they, like they take the water and they freeze it. And when they freeze it, they use a microscope to look at the molecular structure of the water. And they realized that water that you play classical music on like Mozart, Beethoven, not only does it have a very high electron signature, that is, it literally has life inside electricity and, and, and energy, but the molecular structure of the water takes the shape of the star of David. I kid you not. <laughs> like, I kid you not. The molecular structure of the water literally takes the star of David. When, not only when they play like classical music to it, but when they took water from a church that has been blessed. I'm talking about science now. This is not even spirit, cocoa, whatever, you know, but this is something that science has been proven that the water that they keep in the cathedrals that they bless every day. On a molecular level, it is completely different from water that you keep in your house. Literally, are you getting what I'm saying? So literally a transformation has happened on the molecular level of that water, you know, that makes it completely different from something else. Literally, there are not two bodies of water that are the same. I don't know if you've ever seen any image of when two oceans or two seas come together you can literally see the difference in color. Have you ever has anyone of us seen a picture like that? When two bodies of water meet, you can literally see the difference between two of them. You know, there is not the same, even though it looks like it. They look like each other, but when you look at it from a microscopic point of view, it's not the same. It's different, you know, because certain things have been done to it that has caused it to transform. So these scientists started to go around the world and they went to a place deep inside the Amazon that has not been touched by a lot of um, Western civilization and all that. And when they went to this water on the mountain top, when they looked at it with with, um, an, an electromagnetic camera, the water was filled with powerful electrons. Like it literally was alive. There was so much life to it. And anyone that drank it, for the, they, were, they, were, they were monitoring themselves for seven days. The people who didn't drink the water, they took a kind of, um, there's this camera called the Kirlian camera that has been developed, that is able to take a picture of a person's energetic signature. The people who drank the water for seven days, literally their energetic presence was very high. And those who didn't, their energetic signature was very low. This is science now. Literally, it's scientifically proven that every human being is like a walking magnet. We have a positive pole and a negative pole. Even down to our cellular level, every cell in our body has a positive side and a negative side. Our cells are like micro batteries. So as you are here now, you are literally a walking magnet because the planet itself is a giant magnet. It has a North Pole and a South Pole. Do we understand that? I'm not going too um, scientific on us, but do you understand what I'm saying? You know. Yes, we do. Uh-huh. Yes. It is not strange to say that every human being has an energy field because our planet itself has an energy field. If we came from this planet, of course, we are going to look like the planet. So if the planet has a North Pole and a South Pole, which you can call masculine and feminine, then every human being must also have a North Pole and a South Pole, which you can call masculine and feminine. You know. And the people exactly is what they call aura. The word aura, if you listen to it, in Hebrew, the word for light is aura. So you can see how languages are connected to one another. Have you heard of what they call the northern lights and southern lights? You know, when you go to the northern part of the world, those green lights that bend because of the magnetic um, presence there. uh It's called aurora. You know, the one in the North Pole is called aurora borealis. The one South Pole, aurora australis. So you still see the word "our" because "our" is related, is related with light, you know. And our hey, sorry, I got lost for a minute. Can you hear me? I can't hear anymore. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Can you see me now? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. What was the last thing you heard so I can continue from there? You said or, <laughs> uh-huh. or. <laughs> I'm not trying to show us how languages are very much related with one another. They're not that separate. If you actually study language and linguistics, you see how all languages are connected somehow. You see some relationship and stuff like that, stuff like that. So in Hebrew, light is called aura. So when we say aura, of course, we're still talking about light. And every human being has what is called an aura because when we talk about the magnetic field, it's energy is light, you know? So it's not anything to was This this scientific. Uh, how many of us have had this experience where you're sitting down and someone comes into your space and they don't touch you physically, but because they are in your space, you already feel a bit uncomfortable. Like how many of us have been there? Huh, yeah, you know, because literally, when they come that close to you, your magnetic field and their magnetic field has already started to interact, and that's why you feel ah, leave my space now. Because literally, you can feel, you know, their energetic presence, you know. it's spicy, we call it vibes. Yeah, you can can call it vibes because everything is vibration at the end of the day. But literally, we all have a magnetic field. We all have an aura. And when someone enters into our space, comes very close, we feel it and we're disturbed because the energetic field protrudes about, you know, like six inches around us. It's, it's It's like from here to here, like six inches around us. And when someone comes into that space, if you don't want them to be there, you feel very uncomfortable because now it's as if there is no harmony between you and that person, and it's very disturbing. Everyone has that energetic field. Everyone has that aura. So after seven days of drinking that water in, uh, in somewhere in Peru, you know they went to some deep, remote village that you know those people were away from civilization. They took pictures, energetic pictures of the people that drank the water, and literally there was significant difference in their body. Literally, that water they started to drink was actually bringing them health because the water was literally alive. So when we talk about living waters, apart from the spiritual aspect of it, physically, there is living water and there is dead water. Are you guys seeing what I'm saying? Exactly sure, but that's why they live longer. Because the water they are drinking is alive. Do you understand so, physically speaking, there is living water and there is dead water. So, these are not spirits now. Like this is what is science is just discovering something that all these people have known for thousands of years. So, literally speaking, there is living water and there's dead water, you know. Ehunaya, well, I'm sure there is in some parts. I mean, when you listen to a lot of stories of our people, when you listen to them, they talk about how there are certain rivers that sometimes people get water from them and it heals them. It's not nonsense, there's truth to it. You know, but these days we've ruined our waters, you know, we defecate inside, throw trash, you know, people have killed the water, you know, our water on its own, if you leave it, you know, it's, it knows how to recycle itself because the waters of this planet is like the blood of this planet, just like we have blood, right? So long as you're not putting anything in your body to spoil it, your body has a natural recycling and filtration system. It knows how to clean itself. You know, if you don't disturb it, so long as you don't put anything funny to your body, your body knows how to clean itself by itself. The same with the rivers of this world. If you just leave it on its own, it knows how to clean itself. But if every day you're throwing trash, that this and that. Exactly, Miriam, that's what happened to those canals in Venice. You know, just from three, four months, when they stopped moving around in those canals in Venice, look at what happened. Water that they could not see the bottom of the, of, the, of the, they couldn't see the ground floor beneath it. After four or five months of lockdown, it became crystal clear. And that's how water is. It's able to clean itself. If you, if you just leave it be, you know. So literally there's water that is alive and there's water that is dead. So that pool of Siloam, though it has a very profound spiritual significance, even physically speaking, there is also a reality to that. Especially when a person who indeed has within himself the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, because when you talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, it's also associated with your aura. Do you get what I'm saying? Jesus Christ's aura was so charged that a lady touched the hem of his garment and her illness left her. Do you get what I'm saying? Paul's shadow was cleaning people of illness. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand? Yeah. Aha. So it's, these are not things that are not scientific. Everything that happens in this world is scientific, but it's just that a science that a person is not able to understand, they call it a miracle, you see? But what you're calling miracle, is something that is simply beyond your present level of understanding. Because what you call miraculous is Jesus Christ's everyday life, is Paul's everyday life, is Peter's everyday life. You know, his shadow was healing people. He's not, that's just what he was. Because there was so much transformation that happened within him that his external body became a natural expression, a natural portal for that life that exists above. So when we talk about a ceremony, When a ceremony is carried out by people who not only know what they are doing, but they themselves are a bridge between the physical and the spiritual, whatever they arrange in that atmosphere is no longer just a basic thing. It now becomes a channel for that life in spirit. Do you get what I'm saying? And this applies for good and for bad, because every culture in this world, go and look at it, every culture, they all have their what festivals, their ceremonies and stuff like that, true or false? Sure. Huh? Aha. Yeah. So festival, this is in every part of the world. And festivals are not just physical. They are very, very spiritual. And that's why they do it frequently. Is a kind of, how can I explain it? The reason why festivals happen over and over again is like, just like the physical body. When you eat food into your body, that food kinds of, it puts information into your body that reminds it of what it needs to continue to do. It's like a reminder. Ah, I want to explain this well. When you eat physical food, it's like a reminder you're putting into your body, you know, or like better said medicine. When you take medicine into your body, like drugs, drugs don't heal you in the way we understand. Drugs are like pills that have strong information. And when they enter into your body, they begin to remind your cells how they ought to act. Because when you say a person is sick, it means that the cells have forgotten themselves. Do you see how it also applies spiritually? Because physically, sickness is sickness happens in your body when your cells have forgotten themselves. When they are no longer doing what they were designed to do, you know? A cell that is supposed to work in the heart, it wakes up and says, say, ah, I feel inside of myself, I'm not a heart, I'm a lung, so I'm going to... I'm going to be alone. Of course, there must be sickness nobody. (laughs) You know, because when a person forgets who they are, when a person walks outside of the station that was designed for them, then illness and error, illness and error comes to be, you know. So when you take medicine, a medicine is like something to remind yourselves how they ought to act. And when a medicine is very potent, it supplies the body with a lot of information and also a lot of energy to carry out that information. So let's say the drug you're taking into your body now is specifically designed to talk to the cells in your kidney, telling them to behave, 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 behave. But not not only do they tell them behave, the medicine also supplies the lungs, the energy it needs to behave itself. So maybe you are lacking zinc or iron, and that medicine has a lot of zinc and iron. It doesn't only give you the instruction on how to correct yourself, it also supplies you with the energy to correct yourself. who is reading what I'm saying? I'm I'm speaking with analogy here, but I'm talking about spiritual things. Are we able to understand what I'm saying? Do we understand? Yes, yes, yes. Uh I'm also speaking of Christ. Yes. I'm speaking... duality right now so you have to listen you know so this is the reason why they do ceremonies it's a kind of let's say for the year the people maybe from going up and down this and that they have forgotten their spiritual ancestry they are forgotten where they have come from they are forgotten and their forgetfulness will manifest as them doing things that are out of character. So that ceremony is a kind of resupply of energy to cause them to, just, just like Holy Communion, that the, like in, in the church, some churches they do it every week, some people even do it every day, you know. It's a kind of reminder to bring that energy back into yourself to enable you to continue. That's why we pray every day, you know, we pray. And when we pray, we literally, some if we pray very well, you know, we leave the prayer, like energized, you know, we feel empowered because now we have brought a reminder because before the prayer, you were probably down. You didn't feel like, oh, nothing is going well. You know, you're just tired, you know. That's because a part of you has forgotten the truth. That when the prayer comes and it opens the door to fresh energy, fresh power, we can say fresh fuel, fresh petrol, your car that was doing, (laughs) it picks up again, (laughs) and you can start driving. So this is what a ceremony does when it is carried out by people who are very much connected to the spirit. So when they gather together, especially when it's in a collective, because when many people come together, all the energy is multiplied. Has anyone been to a concert? Have you felt the energy there is different? It's not like watching it on Zoom. When you're in a crowd of 10,000 people, is different. Has anyone felt that before? You know? It's, yeah, that's what made the experience different last year. Of course, of course, you know, of course, of course, you know. Concerts, you know, crusades, football matches is different. Watching football live is different from watching on TV. Absolutely different. Because in that place, everyone in that moment is in one accord. And they are all putting their energy towards one. That's why in football, they have what they call home and away. And literally, when a football team is playing in a different stadium, and 80% of the people in that stadium are wishing them failure, it affects them. Do you understand? That's why in football, away goal, when you score a goal, like away from your home base, is of more value. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh Uh If you're able to score a goal in someone else's house, it's of more value because in that place, everyone is against you. It's like Manchester United going to Arsenal Stadium to play football. When you're in Arsenal Stadium, everyone is wishing Manchester United to fail. Of course, that contrary energy has tremendous effect against you and you will need to do super efforts to win that game. Ceremonies are just like this, you know? And every ceremony always has a focal point because the power of a ceremony is rooted in each person concentrating on one thing. That's why the Egungun festival, everyone concentrates on those things that are dancing, you know? And that thing that concentrates concentrating supplies the power. And that power, it releases it back to everyone. You know, and everyone becomes re energized with that traditional power in that area. You guys understand what I'm saying? It I'm, might sound funny, but if you listen to that, anyway, you know, <laughs> this is what happens in that moment. It's not just the Egungu, it's also the people in that environment. Everyone is working together because it's an energy exchange. And those ceremonies are brought together to reintroduce those same energies back into those people for another year, you know. The baptism is just like this. Especially when it's done with someone who indeed is connected to the spirit of God. That water that they're in is no longer water as you know it. It becomes a portal. It becomes a bridge from the physical to the divine. And there are many experiences, people who, you know, when someone baptizes, they come out, some of them speaking in tongues, some of them prophesying, things start happening. Because that water became a portal. It became a bridge between the natural and the divine. The baptismal water, spiritually speaking, is representative of birth, is representative of creation. That's why Paul said anyone who is now in Christ is a new creation. Because that baptismal water is related with the creation of something new, is related with the birth of something new. And physically speaking, one can enter into like a baptismal ceremony, like Jesus Christ did, you know. And the person who initiates that ceremony is indeed someone who is initiated into the the mysteries of God, and that water becomes something else. When you enter that water and come out, something significant has happened in you. Nonetheless, however, the real baptism, the real death and rebirth, the real transformation is not something that happens as a result of the water's external. It's something that happens as a result of the water's internal. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Before okay. I go forward now, yes. before I go forward, any thoughts, comments, oh, can I come again? Could, sorry, that last part. Can you come again? So the last part. The water I, uh-huh. yeah. I said that. When a person who indeed is connected to God carries out a baptism physically, something happens there something transformative, something powerful, energy is released in that environment, in that moment. But I said, it is not the water's external that cleans a person, but it's the water's internal. So no matter how powerful an external baptismal process is, the real baptism is that which happens within. Do we understand that? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, so before I go forward, do we have any thoughts, comments, questions? So let's make sure we're all on the same page. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, you can raise your hand. No one? Okay, fantastic. So, like I said, of course, of course, I'm going there if you don't worry. <laughs> I'm going there. I was just laying a foundation. I just laying a foundation. So, like I said, hold on, let me drink this water. The concept of baptism, the concept of baptism is not something that began with the New Testament. It's something that has always been associated not only with the Jews, but it's something that is very Middle Eastern. You know, it's a Middle Eastern thing, the use of water and going and coming out. Because even in Islam, you also see that before they go into the mosque, you know, they first of all do the ablution. They wash their hands. They wash their feet. They wash their face. You know, these are external symbols of things that have a spiritual representation. Like I said, the waters of baptism, the waters of baptism, uh, the waters of baptism, is a place that is a womb. It is a womb that is also a tomb. You know, and interestingly, the word for womb in Hebrew, which is rechem, has the same root with the word rahamah which means mercy, remember I said that. The baptism talks about the death and it also talks about the birth. What is the relationship between between the birth of something and the mercy of God? Because remember, when Adam and Eve seemed to the garden. God gave, what we can say, curses to them, which have deep significance of meaning in your representation. And the curse he gave to, to Eve, who, who can tell me the curse that he gave to Eve, if you remember? What curse did God give Eve? Huh? Pain in childbirth. Aha. He said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Remember, when we talk about the baptism, you must also associate it with birth. You must also associate it with creation because they are not separate things. The waters always has to do with the birth of something. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. For it was founded upon the seas and established upon the waters, the waters are always related with a a new thing coming, you know. Literally, the word Hebrew, when you say a person is a Hebrew, the first time the word Hebrew was used in the Bible was when Abraham crossed the river Jordan. I've spoken of many times before, that the river Jordan literally means to descend, to go down. Just like in baptism, when one is pushed down into the, into the baptism, and then they come out. And when Abraham crossed the river Jordan, that is when he got the name Hebrew. And the name Hebrew literally means one who has crossed over. And it is not talking about someone who has crossed a physical river. It is one who has passed through a spiritual river one who has gone through a cleansing, a transformative process that moves them from the place of ignorance to God into the region of the awareness of God. It is a creative process. It is a dying process, and it is a process of rebirth. And we see it in many places in the Bible. The first place we see it, of course, was in Genesis chapter one. Remember, the earth was without form and void. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit hovered upon the face of the waters and said, let there be light. So before the advent of the light, before the creation, the earth was formless and void. I want to ask a question for those who are able to see, how does this relate to us in relationship to baptism? Who can tell me the connection between these two? So the question is, remember Genesis chapter one says, the earth was formless and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Then the spirit hovered upon the waters and God said, let there be light. And then what light came out of the waters. Remember, before then, the earth was formless and void, and there was darkness. Then after the waters, light came. How does this relate to us on the first time? Um, is it that prior to Christ, we are also um, void, but with Christ, we have the inner light inside of us? Of course, because before the awareness of God, we're formless and void. You know, Just like when cells lose, their, lose memory of what they're supposed to be, we also lose memory of what we're supposed to be. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing on this earth. We're human beings who are carrying out actions as though we're not human beings, you know. We're literally formless and void. Our lives are all over the place until the baptism, the birth. And it's in reference to that scripture that Jesus Christ said, unless a person is born of spirit and water, they can't enter into the kingdom of God. Because literally, the spirit was hovering upon the waters and darkness was upon the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. Now, do you now see why Paul says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus? Because he's referencing Genesis chapter one. Are we able to see this, this parallel? Yeah? You know, that is why we're called a new creation because creation is always associated with the waters. The waters is the mother's womb. And God said to Eve, I will greatly multiply your pains in childbirth. And we look at this and we say, oh, 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 God is so cruel. Look at what he has done to women. Oh, why didn't he give men that kind of thing, you know? There's truth to it, but we must always remember that the Bible is a spiritual book. Before it is a physical book, you understand. On one hand, we read the Adam and Eve story of a man and a woman. A woman came out of the man who was the bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. But we see Paul come later in, I think Colossians, when he was talking about husbands, love your wife, as Christ loved the church. For who, is there a person who hates his own flesh? And Even someone can pose that scripture for me, you know. And how we pretty much talked about how Christ is the bone of our bone and the flesh of our flesh. or so we are the bone of his bone and the flesh of his flesh. So in that story, we might look at Eve and say is just God punishing all women in the world and everything. But we must understand that spiritually speaking, every single one of us is a woman. Every one of us is a woman. The heart of an individual, the soul, is feminine. It receives seed into itself, and it brings forth out of itself that which has been planted. That's why Jesus Christ said, by their fruits you shall know them. Remember, the baptism is associated with the birthing process as well. Because when we talk about baptism, many assume that the moment they enter into the physical waters and come out that that is the end. But when you observe your personal life, you know, even Abraham's life after he crossed from darkness into light, because when he crossed the Jordan river, it wasn't just a person who crossed something physically. It was someone who also crossed something spiritually. When God told him, get up and come out of your father's house to a land that I will show you that father's house, For example, some of us, I want to talk about your father. Your father talks about a place that you have come from because father literally means origin, that which you have come from. And your father could not only be a literal father, but he could also be a mindset because physically speaking, your father represents your physical ancestry, but he also represents your cultural, psychological, and sometimes spiritual ancestry, true or false. Sure, very true. You you understand? Because the person who raised you physically, of course, you look like them because you came out of their body. But they don't only raise you physically, they also raise you psychologically. So the way your father has spoken to you growing up, the way he's treated you, the way he's taught you about life is what you also become. So when we talk about walking out of the father's house, it's not just walking out of a place physically. It's also walking out of a place psychologically. Because a father doesn't just raise a person physically, he also raises the person psychologically. And if we even push father, some fathers even go as well to raise a person spiritually, because every home, not everyone, but a lot of homes also have a spiritual um, um uh what's the word I want to use? I well, say a religion that they have, you know, they have some kind of spiritual path that they follow. So every home you're born into, you're not just born into a physical place. They're also born into a psychological place. They're also born into a spiritual place. So when God told Abraham to come out of his father's house, you don't even need to be spiritual to see that. It's coming out of not just a physical place, but a psychological place, an old way of doing things, an old way of reasoning, to a land that God will show him. Physically speaking as well, when you go to a new land, the traditions in Lagos, are they the same as the traditions in China? I'm asking Huh? Most, no. Definitely no. <laughs> Most definitely not. Most definitely not. know. So even without even getting to spiritual, physically speaking, when you move from one physical location to another, you're also moving to a new psychological location. The atmosphere is different. Definitely. So even in that transitional story, it's not just a physical movement that's been spoken about. There's also a psychological movement. And if you start to press deeper, there's also a spiritual movement that's happening. And it happens when they cross over. And remember, it was not only Abraham that crossed over. His wife also crossed over. And his servants also crossed over. So best believe that when they say his wife and his servants crossed with him, they're talking about people that Abraham led also from darkness to light. Does that make sense? Yes. So this is how it's, these stories are told about, you know, are spoken about in a very simple way. I would just bring out a scripture for us as well, because you see the same parallels with the Red Sea. You know, let's look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. This was when Moses and the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, and they were standing before the Red Sea, and it looked as though, ah, You have brought us to our because behind us are the the Egyptians. And in front of us is (laughs) potential drowning. And someone should post Exodus 14 verse 13. And let's see what Moses said to them. If someone can post it. Exodus 14 verse 13. Exodus 14 verse 13. If someone can post it. Exodus 14, 13. Okay, thank you, John. Thank you, John. Can you guys see what John posted? Okay, thank you. Okay, well, a lot of people posted. Okay, awesome, awesome. But Moses told the people, now this this verse, because Vivian posted in, Vivian posted in, okay, so there are three translations here. There's one amplified, there is one KJV, and there is one NLT. So let's read, the, let's read the Amplified. Then Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Take your stand. Be firm and confident and undismayed. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Let's read it in KJV. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he was shown to you today. Now let's read Vivian's um, NLT. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. How many of us can see what this scripture is talking about? Who can see what I'm trying to highlight here? Huh? Who can see what I'm trying to highlight here? Remember, they were before the Red Sea. And we're speaking about how the waters are a symbol of baptism, a conversion from darkness, ignorance into light, awareness of God. But recognize what Moses said about those waters. He said, Watch, okay, the NLT says, Watch the Lord rescue you today. But you see, that word rescue does not communicate the depth of what it is in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it literally says, Watch the Lord. Yeshua you to Do you get what I'm saying? Right there, we see them talking about the salvation of God, Christ. I'm not trying to show us how salvation has always been associated with the waters, long before the New Testament. We always emphasize a lot. We always emphasize a lot that Jesus Christ didn't come to teach something New. he came to unveil something old that people did not understand. Remember he said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill it. And not one jot or tittle of the prophets would fall to the ground without being fulfilled. So he wasn't coming to establish a new doctrine. He wasn't coming to establish a new system he was coming to unveil something that was always there, but the people had forgotten about. And right there in those waters of, of the Red Sea, Moses associated it with salvation because the word there literally is Yeshua in front of the Red Sea. and remember in that Red Sea crossing, some Egyptians followed the Israelites out from Egypt. And some Israelites stayed back in Egypt. The moment the Egyptians crossed the Red Sea with the Israelites, they were called Israelites. And the Israelites that stayed back in Egypt, the moment the Israelites crossed, those ones were called Egyptians. Do you know what I'm saying? Huh? Because we're talking about spiritual transition here not a physical transition the people that stayed back in egypt are those that we can say put their hand to the plow and look back as such are not fit to enter into the kingdom of god god provided them yeshua literally if you if you read it literally god provided them yeshua do you understand god provided them yeshua And it was symbolized by the Red Sea. And those who crossed were saved. But they were saved from that dimension of slavery. Now, this is where I'm going to, because we see in the New Testament that Paul talks about in different places. One, he will say, for we have been saved through grace by faith in Christ Jesus Christ, by faith in Christ Jesus Another place he said, for those of us who are being saved. Another place he will now say, we shall be saved. So then begs the question, uh uh-uh. uh. At one place, Paul is saying that I'm saved. In another place, he's saying that my salvation is an ongoing process. In another place, he's saying that my salvation has not yet even come, that I shall be saved. What does that tell us about the concept of salvation? For those who are able to understand, who can tell me what this is teaching? Yes, spicy, salvation is a continuous process. It's an ongoing process. It's a movement from glory to glory. Because in the Old Testament, like I said, the river, the water is, itself, is in itself a symbol of baptism, is in itself a symbol of a new kind of birth, a new kind of order, a new discovery, an awareness of God. Literally, this is what Paul talked about when he said transforming, transcending from glory to glory. Because the process with God is not just one stage, there are multiple stages to it. Do you understand? Moses provided a kind of salvation in his time. It's written there, you shall see the Yeshua of the Lord, the salvation of the Lord. Abraham also brought a salvation of his time. Because remember, not only did he cross, he also crossed with some people, right? Noah also brought a salvation in his time because the flood of Noah is also symbolic of a newfound awareness of God, a new kind of birth. And we've spoken before, you know, the flood of Noah lasted for how long? Who can tell me? How long did it last? Yeah. Yeah. For 40 days and 40 nights. And incidentally, in Hebrew, the letter Mem, the Hebrew letter Mem, which in English is like M, right? In Hebrew, every letter has a number and has an individual meaning to itself. Every letter has a number and an individual meaning. Literally, every letter in the Hebrew alphabet is a symbol. So each letter represents something else. Now the letter Mem, which we can call M in Hebrew, has a number and has something that it symbolizes. It symbolizes water and its number is 40. What is the relationship between water and the number 40? Physically speaking, it literally takes a woman 40 weeks to deliver a child. Nine months. That's 40 weeks for a birthing process to happen. And if you study the Bible, after 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 the crossing of the Red Sea, what happened? 40 years in the wilderness. After Jesus Christ crossed Jordan, 40 days in the wilderness. After the baptism of the water floods of Noah, 40 days and 40 nights. Because the bible is a very symbolic book rich with symbols and one has to read between the lines to understand what they're talking about you know exactly if the water breaks as a first sign of birth because literally in the feminine body the child is developed in the amniotic sac the child is literally formed inside of water you know literally it's formed inside of water People assume that only men have semen, but women also have semen. Their semen has a different representation and it actually transforms from one form to another. The semen of the woman manifests as the amniotic fluid that carries the child. The semen of the woman manifests as the ovum, and the semen of the woman manifests as the breast milk. That's why it is impossible for a woman to have any of those things happening. She cannot um, produce milk and have the ovulation cycle at the same time. True or false? Am I lying, ladies? True or false? You know. So exactly, he every single okay. one of it is life-giving. Aha. Every one of it is, because when we talk about semen, it's life, it's energy, it's the seed of a living being. So it's not only men that have semen, women also have semen. It's just that there takes different forms. But wherever there will be semen, there will be life, literally. And in a physical body, the seed of a being, the body uses, the greatest amount of energy in your body is donated towards the development of the seed in the body. you know that's how the oven is developed that's how the amniotic sac is developed. that's how the breast milk is developed. you know that's why when a woman is um, gestating she has to eat certain things in order to be able to give life to the child because the milk is, has life inside of itself and stuff. Like that, stuff like that. So it takes 40 weeks for a child to be born. And that's why the waters are associated with the number 40. And that's why when Paul was talking about the baptismal, yes, a woman who is gestating can't have an ovulation cycle. This is scientifically proven. It doesn't, it can't happen, you know? It can't happen because it's the same fluid that takes different manifestations. It literally transforms in the body of the woman. I mean, there are very deep spiritual things to this. That's why with women, when they want to do certain kind of jazz, they, 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 they use her menstrual blood and they can really do a lot of witchcraft with it because it has some kind of energetic signature to it. But that's not what we're talking about today. You know? but anyway, that's why people use that. you know. And in those days, women were very careful with how they dispose of the sanitary um, things so that one doesn't take it and use it for you know, the wrong stuff. But indeed, because it's life, you know, it's, it's, it has a lot of energy, you know. But anyway, that's besides the point. Because the waters are associated with birth, that's why Paul just came and said, born again. For someone who hasn't understood the foundation of this concept of the waters and rebirth, one who assumes, one who assumes that um, one who assumes that Paul just came up with these things from nowhere. You know, one who assumes that Paul just, and that's what happens. You know, A lot of people who haven't really gone back to study the Old Testament, to understand a lot of the analogies, it looks as if Paul just came up with some new strange things that no one knows where he got it from, you know. But when one actually studies deep, you actually start to realize, ah, I get what you're talking about, you know. That's why it talks about the one who enters the waters and comes out is your boy But it's not a one-day thing. It's something that happens over the course of one's life. And that's why in the Old Testament, we see many crossings happen. Of course, we see the very first crossing in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. We see it with the flood of Noah. We see it when Abraham crossed the river Jordan. We also see it when Moses, Aaron, and and uh, no, sorry, when Joshua and Aaron crossed the Jordan River into the Canaan land, all of these were different kinds of crossings. And literally, what is the meaning of the name Joshua? For those of us who may know, what does Joshua mean? Hmm? Salvation. Joshua, salvation. Indeed. Yeshua, salvation. Yeshua, salve- salvation. Yeah. In Hebrew, there's no book of Joshua. Joshua is just an English transliteration because people, you know, people put God in a box. So they wanted to try and make a distinction between things that in Hebrew don't really have distinction. So in New Testament, they call him Jesus. But in Old Testament, they say Joshua. But it's the same Hebrew name. is Yeshua. It means salvation. So literally, when Moses was crossing the Red Sea, he said, do not be afraid and you will see the Yeshua of the Lord. <laughs> right? Which was symbolized by the Red Sea. Then, fast forward later, Yeshua led them across the Jordan into Canaan land. Is anyone seeing this? <laughs> so they literally went from salvation to salvation. Do you get this? Huh? You know? Ah, uh-huh. fantastic! So, we even see in the Old Testament the progressive work of transformation, because everything that the apostle Paul came to preach, came to teach, was rooted in those things that happened that were written about in the Old Testament. He came to unveil the truth that was there but concealed. You know. And the picture, the most profound picture of salvation that we have is the crossing over, the coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea into the wilderness and then the promised land, you know. And it was written that by mighty hand, God rescued Israel out of Egypt. And that's why Paul came and said, that I press on that I may know him, and that that I may press on to lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of me for. That statement is a reference to the Exodus. He's literally saying that Christ caused my Exodus for a reason. He pulled me out of ignorance, of spiritual slavery, of darkness, into the light to perform a particular work, to be complete, to be perfected, to be purified again. And that's what Paul was saying, because Paul was a rabbi, understand this. Paul was a rabbi. And the way he wrote, he wrote as he was writing to a people who had some kind of, he, he, he was writing to a people who had some kind of understanding of scriptures already. So a lot of things he was saying were poetic. And if one doesn't have some kind of study foundation of, of the scriptures, the poetry of Paul will easily be missed, but will, mis- will be misrepresented. One will just, you know, get the wrong thing. And that's why, when we start to study, we start to understand a lot of things that were said and why they were said. Because remember, the waters are associated with birth, right? And it does not talk about a birth external. It talks about a birth internal. And God said to the woman, because of what you have done, I will multiply your pains in childbirth. Physically speaking, we see that indeed when women give birth to children it's with great pains, but as um, um, confidence and if he emphasized with few exceptions, there's always going to be exceptions to things, you know? but generally childbirth happens through pains. But this tells a much, much, much deeper and internal story. Because remember, the childbirth is also associated with baptism. It's not the birth of a child external, but the birth of the Christ of the light internal. And God told Eve that because of what she has done, that Christ, that light will be born out of her through a lot of pains. You know, because remember, the waters of baptism are a place is a place where death happens. The death must come before the birth and there is nothing sweet to the flesh about that dying process because like I said, when we talk about salvation, is not... Remember, I first of all started by getting us to see how powerful ceremonies can be and how we cannot say they are irrelevant. Because sometimes, you know, in the, when we start to get um, fresh light to things, you know, we automatically assume that everything that came before was completely wrong. But that's not true. There's always going to be some useful truth in the old that we need to understand and assimilate in light of the new. So the old is not completely useless, but when new light comes, it helps us to properly place the things of the old. Does that make sense? Do we understand that? Yes, yes, yes. Uh Uh-huh. So when new light comes, when new understanding comes, it gives us the opportunity to properly place the things on, of the old where they ought to be is not about completely throwing them away. Jesus Christ did not throw away all the old things, He only placed and adjusted them in the areas that they ought to be. You know, let me tell you, you're right now, I'm facing so many battles because you see, before this meeting, I just said, you know what, let me try and make some notes. So, I, right now, see, I have a whole page here filled with a uh, write up. I've not been able to say anything on this place. I <laughs> okay, you know, I'm, I'm so stressed out. God is just stressing me. Out. <laughs> and, you know, I was okay, you know what? Let me just put some scriptures down that I can be able to remember and blah, 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 but for where? <laughs> so we move. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, it's the baptismal process. not something that happens when one just goes into the waters physically and comes out it's something that happens over the course of one's life and it's something that is always a dying thing and it's something that's always a birthing thing but remember god told eve that with great pains she will bring forth a child physically speaking we already know that we're talking about adam and eve two people or a whole collective of people who lives, who knows when, you know, but spiritually speaking, Adam represents Christ, our true husband and Eve. And Eve represents us, the true bride who are to bear the child for this (laughs) husband and bring him forth into manifestation. And because Eve did something that was contrary to God, did something that was contrary to her nature. When she tasted of something outside of the presence of God, by her doing so, made her return to God very difficult. An example is, as I'm here like this now, if I've never taken any kind of narcotics or any kind of psycho stimulants, My life is okay, at least in that respect. But the moment I introduce into my body some psychoactive chemical or some psychoactive agent, automatically, my life has changed. Because as I have introduced this complication into my life, how hard is it for me to live with a mask? Very hard. Very hard. You know, very hard. So if, for example, now I'm your dad and I tell you, hey, because you have taken this heroin, it will be so difficult for you to walk away from it. Well, it looks as if I'm cursing you, but in truth, I'm only stating a fact that has happened. So it looked like God was cursing Eve, but he was simply stating a fact. Because remember, Eve is representative of every single one of us. Who are supposed to be, be who who are supposed to be betrothed to Christ, the true husband. Now, because she ate of the fruit, he said, it will be very difficult for you to bring forth a child. And remember, this child is Christ. And when we talk about Christ, we're not just talking about a person, we're talking about a nature, we're talking about a character. Now, when you have tasted vengeance and malice which we can can use as representation of the fruit of the tree, for you to bring out of yourself forgiveness, temperance, patience, compassion, it will be very hard. And these are the birth pangs that we feel. And that's why Paul said, I feel birth pangs once more that Christ may be formed in you. Why did he say, I feel birth pangs once more? that tells you that he had already experienced that birthing process before. And the pains that one must go through and must experience when they're transitioning from darkness into light. Because remember, the baptismal waters, the mikvah, is a place that death happens, right? When we die to the old ways of, of being, we die to our old characteristics. We die to our old desires. And a new one starts to become born. It is indeed a painful process. And that's why Jesus Christ spoke about. He spoke about how. Let me. Where, where's the scripture? Let me, let me bring it out. He spoke about in. Uh, in uh, hold on. In, in, let me find it. Uh-huh. He spoke in Mark 13, verse 8, right? And I'll just post it here. In Mark 13, verse 8. Let me post it out here for us. One second. One second. He wrote, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines, and there will be troubles. These are the beginning of birth pants. Of course, without a doubt, this has its external representation, which we are seeing in the world today, you know, but internally, because birth pants, when you talk about birth pants, is labor, you know? Physically, a woman, when she goes in labor, the muscles of our of our abdomen begin to contract because that's how the child is forced out. So all those contractions start to happen, and it is indeed very painful. You know, it's the you know the contractions within a being to get that child out. And the Bible, this birth pang, this birthing process, is called the Great Tribulation, which in a lot of people read that and they misunderstand, you know, because they do not read the symbols. You know, they read it, oh, this, that, and they, everything is literalized. Not saying that there will not be some external manifestation of these things because anything spiritual must always have a physical manifestation, but it will not manifest as literally as it was written. Do you guys get that? So symbols... A symbol, a symbol has a literal meaning in the sense that when they talk about the beast with seven heads and this and that, it represents something that is real. But that does not mean that we're going to see something with a literal, with literal seven heads. We must understand that Jesus Christ spoke of the Antichrist, right? And when we talk about Christ, Christ is associated with light. And in the Jewish culture, in the Old Testament, the light was represented with the menorah, you know, the seven candlesticks, you know, representing the seven spirits of God. So when you talk about a beast with seven heads that brings up blasphemies, why does it have seven heads? That number seven is already telling you a story that this is something that looks like Christ because the seven talks about the seven spirits of God, but it is opposite. So if the seven spirits... Will be love, patience, kindness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That thing will be jealousy, malice, greed, and so on. And without a doubt, we will see it manifest in our world. Because of course, the beast with seven heads is already present in the world today. You know, it's already present because that statement there is a symbol that has a spiritual meaning, but also has a physical meaning. The physical meaning doesn't need to look exactly like the symbol. Like, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to look exactly as a symbol. But in essence, we will see the manifestation of that symbol. Do you understand what I'm trying to explain? Aha. Uh-huh. Before I go forward, is anyone lost? Are we lost? Is anyone lost? Is anyone confused about anything that we've seen so far? Do you have any questions, thoughts, or comments you want to share? You can raise your hand if you do. Okay, okay. So it seems like, okay, great. So Paul said, oh, my little children, and maybe someone can post it here for us. Oh, my little children. Who I feel the birth pangs once more. Okay, before I go forward, Kishi has a question. Okay, Kishi, go ahead. So, basically, my question is on this last verse mm-hmm. that Mark, let me just read it out because for nation we rise against and kingdom against kingdom and various places. Now, can we relate this to what is currently happening in the world? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Of okay, we Okay, so we can literally manifestation of this prophecy to you. Of course, of course. I mean that is very clear. You know, we see it all over the place. You know. Of and he said, "This is the first sign Thank of the birth." You're welcome. You're welcome. And he says, "This is the signs of the birth pangs." But remember, this thing that is supposed to be born is Christ. This is the fruit that's supposed to come out of the person. But it comes out through that travailing, through that labor. And that's what that water of baptism represents. Because remember, wherever there is a water of baptism, it is told in the Bible, wherever there are waters, something dies and something is brought to life. The Israelites entered into the Red Sea as slaves. But they came out as free men, and their captors were drowned at the bottom of the Red Sea. That's how the baptism is. It kills something and it causes something else to come alive. You know, I'm right now reminded of Hosea chapter six, verse six. So chapter six, verse one, and I'll bring it to us. And I, I, and I just want to show us how you see, everything has already been spoken about, you know. Let me put it here first chapter 6, verse 1. And we're going to see how, wow, wow, I probably never saw this before. So if he asks, is the Great Tribulation referring to our internal frame or the body of Christ or the earth? He refers to everything. Because remember, God doesn't only deal with individuals, he also deals with a collective. So, like we always talk about how a nation, is a macro representation of each family unit. So whatever we see on the macro level is a reflection of what is happening on the micro level in each individual, makes sense? Makes sense, thank you. Okay, awesome, awesome, welcome, welcome, yeah. So it applies on an individual level, it also applies on a collective level. So I'm going to to post a scriptural from Hosea, you know, from Hosea. This is Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. And it says, Come, and let us return to the Lord. For He has torn, but He will heal us. He has stricken, but He will bind us. He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us, and on the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live in His sight. So have we seen how this third day and resurrection was something that was already Spoken about already, it was also it was already part of the understanding, and it has a very deep symbolism. Because literally, it was on the third day that God spoke to Abraham to take Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice. So this third day, we see it a lot in the Bible. But I don't want to go. I don't want us to go into that today. That would take us very much off tangent, you know. But I don't want to show us how this process of God is. You you see it everywhere in the Bible, so plain. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn, but He will heal us. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. Because this is what happens in that birthing process, in that tribulation process. It is not God that is causing us to feel pain. The pain is as a result of our walking away from Him. And because we have walked away from that nature, You know, like I said, someone that has never taken drugs before, your body is normal. You know, you've not yet gotten an appetite for something that is other than food and water. But the moment you introduce those narcotics into your bloodstream, your brain discovers a new type of pleasure. And now that drug begins to ping certain centers in your brain that makes your brain believe that this is the food you need to survive. So. The battle for drug addiction is not only psychological, but it's also physical. And that's what happens when we are walked out of the ways of God into the ways of the world. The return back is a painful process. Imagine someone who has built their business their whole life based on fraud. You know, the only way they know how to make money is by swindling people and this and that, and they built their whole world on something that is wrong, how hard will it be for them to start doing the right thing? Do you, get what I'm you know This is the tribulation process and every single one of us are presently in that place. And this earthquake, this famine is happening on the inside of us right now. For those of us who are trying to walk from the place of darkness into light, Sometimes the instructions that God will give to us, how he will tell us to respond to a certain situation, is ridiculous. How many of us can confess that there are some things that God has told us to do or react to a certain situation that we say, God, how far now, you don't like me. <laughs> how many of us have had that before? Let's be honest. <laughs> how many of us have been there where God told us to do something that's just, this was just, how can, you know, <laughs> this is inconceivable. You know, what about me? You know, (laughs) you know, ah, ah, now let me go do our face. Why can't they come and do it? It's a painful process. It's painful. You know, it's painful, man. (laughs) Eleonora said, (laughs) I think it's a story of all our lives. You know, the birth pants, the birth pants. And now the Holy Spirit just brought into my mind something that happened to me about two years ago and the story I'll tell